Did you ever wondered what it was like to run an adventure before you actually prepare it for your weekly game? Did you find yourself wishing there was some kind of guideline for the series of modules you are planning to use on your new campaign? Well, I did too. And I realized that huh, if I'm looking for that kind of inspiration, why not make some videos derived for the games I played the past 20 years with some of the most famous and fun adventures I had the opportunity to get my hands on? So, welcome to my channel. This is my first video and I chose a not that obvious contester for that. One would say, how about starting with the heavy hitters of Pablis Adventures? Curse of Strahd, Renhard of Doom, Temple of Elemental Evil, perhaps Pathfinder, The Kingmaker, Way of the Wicked, or even Warhammer Fantasy, one of the best adventures ever written, The Enemy Within. Well, I picked the Soundless Citadel, a module written by Bruce R. Cordell. It was the first published adventure for 3rd edition D&D back in 2000. It's a significant adventure for me. It took a lot to convince my hard-headed friends that used to play 2nd edition for like years that the new edition deserved a shot. And another reason why I picked this adventure is that I changed the way I played published modules after I completed a run through the Sandler Citadel. You will find out why at the end of this video. So, with no further ado, welcome to my channel and welcome to my take on the Sandler Citadel. I guess you figured out by now that there will be spoilers ahead, so consider yourself sworn. Disclaimer. For all future videos, I will not get into descriptions, backstories, details of my players. The purpose of these videos does not dictate it. So, I will always use the fighter, the rogue, the wizard and the cleric. The story of the module will unfold within the walls of Sunless Citadel, an underground fortress, home to multiple nefarious races and malign creatures. The heart of the Citadel, now an evil tree named Gultheus, and its dark separate, a twisted druid named Belak the Outcast. He made the citadel his home 12 years ago, following the stories of enchanted fruit in the bottom of the ravine within a forgotten fortress. Entering the sunken temple, he found the twilight grove, and at the center, Gultheus tree, which was sprouted from the wooden stake used to slay an ancient vampire, a tree that happens to be the creator of the magical fruit Belak was seeking so passionately. A dragon cult built the fortress long ago. The cult might remain nameless, but the dragon they worshipped was not. His name was Arsadalon. A cataclysm killed the cult members and sank the fortress deep into the ground. Enchantments protected the building, but then goblins and other creatures moved in and stayed for hundreds of years. Kobolds are challenging the goblins' ownership of the citadel, clashing with each other for years, leaving the cleft open for the players to take advantage and use without attracting much attention. The group found their way to the small village of Oakhurst. The fighter was connected with the Hakrili family, who lost both of their siblings, Taljan and Sarwin, when they headed towards the sunken fortress nearby. Carowin Hakrili, the matriarch of the family, sent a letter to her nephew, the fighter, to come seek for his cousins. Investigating the village, the group found out that the citadel is rumored to belong ages ago to an ancient dragon cult. The priest managed to find out that a nearby location to the village called Asen was devastated by an ancient rampage of a dragon named Ashadalon. The lost siblings had with them a paladin of Pelor and a ranger. The sword of the paladin was engraved in the memory of the prying villager's eyes. When asked, he said it had a name. He called it the Shadowspike. After the investigation, the group followed the old road south. They found a number of pillars, some broken, some fallen, throughout the pitch-black ravine. 
Investigating it, they managed to find some dwarven runes warning the trespassers to stay away. They also found a rope tied to one of the pillars hanging down into the darkness. They decided to use the rope and descend it into the unknown. They found themselves on a ledge with a stairwell leading down deeper into the darkness. On their descent, they found multiple dire rats that they were infesting the area. Following the stairs down, the wizard failed to see a defected stair leading into his fall and thankfully being saved by the priest before he was about to fall to his demise on the side of the cliff. The fortress was now visible to them, impressive, forgotten and dangerous. They found themselves on the courtyard, ready to get deeper into it. Traversing through the destroyed courtyard, the group found their way deeper into the citadel. They keep facing collapsed areas, bodies of goblins and secret rooms filled with skeletons ready to attack them. The Dyrads are still attempting to make a dinner party out of them, but they are successfully traversing room after room. They manage to magically unlock a dragon door. The group finds themselves in a large galley containing a number of broken globs along with one still pulsing. The rogue, of course, could not resist to check it triggering a song that made them all run away in fear. Thankfully, the fighter did not. He stayed back, broke the sphere, and restored order to the room. Moving on, traps were triggered, people were hurt, and thankfully, they pushed forward relatively safe. They arrive at a dead end, but with a dragon statue asking them a riddle. When the answer was given, the secret door to the west was revealed. Moving on, they encountered a quasit that managed to escape after they fought for a couple of rounds, leaving them alone, seeking more traps and more secret doors that they successfully discovered. Finally, they arrive at a massive marble sarcophagus that was covered in a dragon imagery. The nine clasps that kept the lid down was not enough of a warning to leave it untouched. A dragon priest troll awoke him and attacked them when the sarcophagus was opened. An interesting find with a self-healing troll that tested the group for the first time and also introduced them to the troll regenerating abilities with a highly entertaining moment that the group rested in a room close to the dead body of the troll when it slowly risen behind them once more leading to a second fight with the shocked players. The use of fire by the wizard informed them about the special abilities of the beast. The group returned to the entrance of the courtyard, heading deeper into the fortress since they still have not found the tree nor the druid they were seeking. And of course there's no sign of the siblings. Traversing through the rooms, they found a water keg. When they opened it, they were attacked by a water elemental. Again, a new monster for them that they had the privilege of encountering for the first time through the Soundless Citadel storyline. Into the room, they are finding a sleeping kobold called Meepaw. He tells the group that they have lost their dragons. His name was Kalkrix. He does not know much, but he says that his leader, Yusdrail, does. He offered to take them to her, that she will most definitely give them a good reward if they found the missing dragon. The group accepted reluctantly, and they followed Meepo through the corridors of locked rooms into the main throne room. Arriving at the dragon throne, the female leader Kobold answered the group's questions. They came here because it was the temple of a powerful dragon back in the day. An outcast that lives below grows a fruit that gives it to the goblins to sell, and the lost humans that the group is looking for fought the goblins and never returned. The goblins stole their dragon, so a reward is given if brought back. 
the group decided that kobolds were not the greatest of enemies in this place and they thought that the idea of keeping truce with them would be a good start. They ask, of course, for free movement on all places within the fortress. If any kobolds try to stop them, that would mean the end of the truce. Using the head of the dead troll as an intimidating technique, they gained that privilege from the queen, promising that the good reward will be given if they did found the dragon. The first room they discovered after the talk with the queen was the entrance to the Underdark. Irrelevant to this adventure, but a really good hook for the future games. Escorted by Meepo, they arrived at the empty room, but with fresh tracks of a medium-sized humans heading north, so they were back in tracking them. The group found an interesting door that they initially could not open while it is protected by a seath trap. There were some draconic runes on it that they managed to decipher, and they read, Channel, good, open the way. That gave the cleric the hint that he needed to use his channeling and turn abilities to enter this tomb room. They are finding an interesting necromantic whistle that they take and face the skeletons that they were risen from the five tombs the moment that they did so. After a good fight, they are starting to continuing their investigation towards the north. Through a number of empty cells and old jump traps, they are still picking up the trail of the humans. A fight erupts with what it seems to be the mother of all rats in this unholy place. The body of the ranger is found here. Caracas was engraved in his ring that they found. Still though, they have not finished. The siblings are not to be found and the unholy tree or the druid still are missing. Hence, running back to a room full of caltrops and receiving range attacks from the goblins above, it was obvious to them that this part of the fortress belonged to the vicious goblinoids. Goblin fights continue relentlessly, weakening the player slowly but substantially. The group finds a cell filled with cobbled prisoners and a gnome. They learn that he was kidnapped by goblins when he was roaming the old road. He knows that the toilet grove below that the druid occupies has an alliance with the goblins. The fruit restores vigor if used in the midsummer period and steals it back in the midwinter. The druid gives the fruits to the goblins to sell, but he does not know for what reason. He was held captive with Tolgen and Sarwin and Sir Bradford. A week ago, goblins removed them from here, so he heard that Bella wanted them. The party decided that Erki, the name of the gnome, would be a good addition to the party, since they were already feeling kind of withered with all the fighting that went on in this place. Any help they could get it would be greatly appreciated. The goblin fights resume again and again and again. Finally, they find a room with a wormling, which unfortunately the moment that he spots Meepo instantly attacks him and shreds him to pieces. They are trying to subdue him, uh, but unfortunately Meepo could not be saved. Leading to the last part of this layer of the fortress map, the group found the main living quarters of the goblins. A large amount of civilian goblins and hobgoblins can be found here. The numbers are great. Almost 34 goblins and about 10 hobgoblins are roaming the area. Thankfully, ready to fight are only a small fraction of them. The combat was fierce, especially when the goblin warchief with his bodyguards joined in from their quarters. Erki unfortunately found an untimely death and the wizard had also a close call with his maker. Thankfully, they prevailed and found Tolgen's ring worn by the chief. The group decided to imprison most of the goblins that they found alive into the village. They did not want any more blood in their hands. By doing so, they found that in the room of the chief there was an opening leading deeper into the fortress. Descending into it, they finally found themselves at the grove level of this unholy place. Their welcoming party was a bunch of twigs and skeletons that they have been risen to meet them when they arrived at the entrance. 
Alarmed by the noise, a large back bear joined the attack with his two diorat hounds. There were more goblins that they were encountered successfully, and they headed toward what it seems to be the main gallery of the area. Bugbear gardeners were found what it seems to be multiple arboretums, each with all kinds of different vegetation. Obviously, the druid was experimenting with something. Moving on, the group found a shrine dedicated to a red dragon. And that was the place that they encountered another new monster for them. Shadows emerged from the ground and attacked them. Their souls were threatened, but thankfully they managed to deal with it. Their descent to the heart of the level continued to the northern part of this area. Finding themselves surrounded by multiple twig blights, they decided to move through them, as they seemed to be coming without end. And finally the group found in front of them a skeletal tree a woman and two men standing nearby it. The wizard of the group spotted that the skins of the people, the woman and the, and the man, are rough. They're almost bark-like, and the fighter instantly recognized Sarwin, his cousin, among them. The druid pleaded with them for a moment before chaos ensued. The players, especially the fighter that was barely could hold his axe, paused. He wanted to listen to what the druid had to say. So, Belloc shared with them that he was expelled from his druic society, that the vampire was killed here and the stake became this beautiful tree. He admitted that he was giving the fruit to the goblins to spread it to the surface. The seed of the fruit will create multiple children of the Gwilthias tree. The tree has accepted the other humans and they are mine to control from now on. The answer of Belloc, when the priest asked why, he did not kill them, and why he is making all these confessions, the druid simply answered that he needs them alive to become his new supplicants. They are too powerful to just rot down here as dead bodies. Surrender your weapons and accept the gift of Gultheus as your friend did before you. Of course, they declined and they attacked. It was a difficult battle. Belloc had the help of both Sarwin and Sir Bradford. Exchanging healing among themselves, add to the mix multiple twig blights, and of course the giant tree frog that Balak has as a pet, this combat was one of the most threatening the players have met in this unholy place. Thankfully, they managed to kill all of them. And this is where the interesting part started for me. The adventure dictates that if the players cut down the Gultheus tree, something that my players did, its twisted influence over the Sunless Citadel vanishes, and any supplicants die including Sarwin and Bradford. It also states clearly that whatever the truth of the tree's vampiric origin, cutting the tree down definitively kills it. The goblin loses the fruit-bantering franchise if any survive, and if the players reveal the truth behind the fruit seed to the villagers of Oakhurst, the folk cut down and burn all growing saplings. The party returns to the villas, they're having a big party, and pretty much they are living up with a hook that but the players actually can find out that some of the saplings have been surviving, some of the seeds have been free to the world, and that could lead in the plague of Gultheas to being expanded. But what I wanted to do, what it was stuck in my mind from the beginning of this book was that imagery of the vampire that it was staked into the center of that cave, of that fortress, and then this really skeletal and unholy tree was uh, grown from that stake. So what I did was when they cut down the tree, they actually found out that this tree was in essence the stake that killed the vampire. And so by taking down the tree of Gultheus, they unstaked 
the vampire that existed all those years ago. Of course, a vampire, a vile creature, that he has risen from his, let's just say, stasis, and he thanked the players. Before they even managed to react to that, he just did a little bow to them and bid them farewell, while he turned into a bat and disappeared into the darkness of the cave. Now, this vampire actually became one of the villains that the players had as an opponent for the whole like 10 or 12 levels forward. For me, it was a great opportunity to build a villain, an arch nemesis of the group, that they are the ones that saved him, plaguing the world. They spread evil. And that was an amazing thing to see into your players' eyes the moment that they were thinking they were doing their best they could to save the day and save the people from the plague that the unholy tree was, eventually they did something that it was even bad without even them knowing it. And then the, the actual vampire became their number one enemy. They swore to find him and kill him. And thus we moved on to our next adventures that we're going to talk about in this channel. But the important thing was that the hooks sometimes can be translated from the game master in a totally different way. And that's what I did. The adventure gave me one specific direction that told me that I should go, but I found and I decided that another direction was really important for me and it was fitting for my group. Now, this specific theme of trying to do the good thing, leading into doing something really, really bad, it's something that you followed the players around for the following adventures. You will remember that when I'll pick up my Standing Stone adventure, which actually is a continuation of the Sunless Citadel. It's the adventure that it, the same path for third edition, uh, level 5. Something uh, similar happened, but you will find about that in a future video. That's it. We managed to go at the end. If you stuck around with me, thank you so much. This is my first video in this series of talking about adventures and pretty much a walkthrough of how my party did it all those years back. I hope you found something informative, found something that will help you into your games. And if you liked what you've heard, I would really appreciate a like, a share and a subscribe. Thank you for being here and please feel free to write any comments below. I will read them all and answer to all of you. Have a nice day.